You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. So we're going to be in Daniel again, um, chapter 2. We let, left off on verse 13 last time we were together. So I would like to um, read from, uh, we'll read from chapter 2, verse 4. Yeah, that doesn't seem appropriate, but it's a big chapter. We're going to read through, uh, let me just kind of take a check here and see how far I think we'll get today. Yeah, that's a dream on, kid. Chapter 2, verse 4 through um, 30. We'll read through verse 30. Daniel chapter 2, verse 4 through 30. Then the Chaldeans spoke up, spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Now he's, at, by the way, to set the stage, he's asked them to tell him his dream and the interpretation. And he's not going to tell them what the dream was. They have to, well in their particular situation, guess it. Daniel won't have to guess. Then the Chaldeans spoke up to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. Just just a question. When In your home schools, when your kids read, you, you don't use this on them, do you? If they read badly, okay, good. But if you declare the dream, verse 6, and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward and great honor. (laughs) Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell the dream to his servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time, inasmuch as you have seen that the command from me is firm, that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed all to, you have all agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king, inasmuch as no no great king or ruler has, has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one else who could who could declare it to the king except gods whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's commander, For what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king, that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter in order that they might request compassion from the God of heaven according concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his friends might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. 
Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. And it is he who changes the times and epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To thee, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for thou hast given me wisdom and power. Even now thou hast made known to me what we requested of thee, for thou hast made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence, and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Then Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions you had and the visions in your mind while on your bed. As for you, king, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future, and he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. But as for me, the mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me any more. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than in any other living man but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. And I did forget to grab my clicker, so give me just a moment here. (laughs) And in keeping with the technological issues of the day, on, you think that means something? What do you bet? Okay. Contact. Let me find out where we're at with this. And we will get started. Thank you for your patience. Peter is gone, who manages all of this. And Josh is gone, who manages Peter. So, (laughs) okay, let me just find out where we were at. So we finished up with verse 13 last time. And at verse 13, the king has asked the wise men, the conjurers, the astrologers, and the Chaldeans to tell him his dream without telling them what it was, and then to interpret it, to give him the meaning of the dream. And he's asked them twice. They've actually, they've objected, and they have recognized that they can't do it. And so they've said to the king, nobody can do this. And so as we talked about last time, this is a perfect setup that the, the Lord of heaven has designed so that when the interpretation comes, everyone will know that it came from the God of heaven. It did not come from a man. And Daniel, you will see, is careful to be humble and let everyone know around that it's not him who has interpreted this, but rather the God of heaven. So there went forth a decree that the wise men should be slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. So everybody dies. 
And remember, as we were talking last time, that only the older wise men, Chaldeans, astrologers, and diviners would have been summoned to work with the king on this because Daniel and his three friends had just finished their time of training and they weren't ready to be ushered into the presence of the king to give advice yet. That would come uh, a little bit later as they worked with the other wise men. (laughs) So they're not there. They're not even there. They're not part of the group that said, we can't do this. But yet, because the wise men of of, uh, Babylon couldn't do it, Daniel and his friends must die as well. does seem kind of unfair, but uh, Babylonian rulers were not known for their fairness. So then verse 14, Daniel replies with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. The 20, approximately 20-year-old Daniel's response to imminent death in most likely a cruel and harsh manner was remarkable. And I did mention this a few months back or a few weeks back. I was thinking about describing to you some of the ways that the Babylonians killed their captors, but they are so gruesome. This would, this would be PG-13 Sunday school. So I'm not going to. You're just going to have to read it for yourself and if you want to. But, but suffice it to say, they didn't just shoot them. They didn't just hang them. It was really awful what they would do. So Daniel, his composure was remarkable because he knew he'd seen what had happened. He'd seen Nebuchadnezzar put out Zedekiah's eyes and do other things like that. Nothing further is known of Arioch, but he was obviously Nebuchadnezzar's executioner. Daniel approached this powerful and dangerous man with calmness and dignity. This would not have been missed by Arioch. Some translators assume, by the way, verse 13 is worded, that some of the executions had already taken place. A thorough reading of this entire section in context indicates otherwise. But Arioch's known task would add urgency to Daniel's need to see the king. He would know that as far as I can, let me back up, as far as I can tell in reading this entire section in context, I don't believe any of the executions had occurred yet. I believe they were still rounding up all of the wise men, seers, and and Chaldeans and diviners and astrologers in the kingdom to bring them to one place to kill them all. And uh, so Daniel uh, encourages Arioch to... Uh, he approaches Arioch in verse, 13, in verse 14. <laughs> verse 15, and then we'll ask if there's any questions. He says to Arioch, the king's commander, for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? So Daniel doesn't really know the whole story yet. He just knows he's going to die. He doesn't even know why. So whenever you feel like you're being treated unfair, keep this story in mind. You're going to die. Why? It doesn't matter. You're just going to die. Buck up. Then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel could not understand why one day things were were somewhat normal, and then all of a sudden, potentially hundreds of people were to be slain, including himself. What could have caused this urgency? I can imagine what was going through Daniel's. Was there a coup, an attempted coup? Did did somebody try to take over the crown? What could have happened to cause the king to decide to kill all of his all of his wise men? The fact that the fact that he was able to approach Arioch is instructive in itself. What could be so terrible that all the wise king's wise men had to be killed? Daniel would have had the natural curiosity of his age or of anybody's age, I guess, but also a healthy dose of the survival instinct. Then, in a characteristically uninformative manner, 
uninformative manner, Daniel writes that he was informed about the matter by the executioner. That's all he says in the book. Likely, this would have included a fair amount of description and conversation. At any rate, Daniel now knows what he needs to do. So when he asked Arioch what could have caused this, and the Scripture says that Arioch informed Daniel of the situation about the matter, that probably took a bit of time um, to explain to him that the, <laughs> all the conjurers had come in, <clears throat> the king had a dream, asked them to give him the dream and the interpretation. They whined about it. He said, you're all going to die if you don't do it. And they whined again, and now they're all going to die. So that was there. I kind of shortened it up for you. So likely this would have, like I said, included a fair amount of conversation. And Daniel would have asked questions back and forth. He was a very, very intuitive and, uh, as we can tell from the Scripture, both humble and uh, um, but he was a very smart young man. So all of this takes place. And then we'll get to verse 16. But are there any questions about 14 and 15 before we move on? Verse 16. So Daniel went in. Now, so he just goes in and he requests of the king. He just goes into the king and he requests of him to give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Now, here's another statement, delightfully compact, that implies much. How did Daniel get access to the king as a counselor who had just been condemned to death? Why would the king see him? Later, we see the king, we see Daniel brought to the king by Arioch, and so it is likely that this interview with the king was facilitated by the commander as well. It wasn't like he just barged in. He would know better, first of all. And there was a procedure for being given access to the king, which was followed later, so the anticipation would be that it was followed at this time. Arioch probably introduced him that morning to the king. Now, this Arioch is the executioner. In this brief summary, it is likely is likely that Daniel convinced the king that he could interpret the dream, but he just needed to be given a bit of time. Earlier, the king would not take five or ten minutes to detail his dream to the counselors. Now, he's apparently willing to wait a bit to see if Daniel can give him the interpretation of his dream. The idea is a set time. Daniel asks for a set time. We don't know what that particular amount of time was. But the fact is... The sovereignty of Jehovah is apparent here. He is, he is superintending this entire process. Why would the king give Daniel a 20-year-old time when all of his interpreters couldn't do it? All of his counselors, I should say, couldn't do it. God was working through this situation marvelously. Then Daniel went to his house, verse 17, and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, about the matter. Either Daniel... Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah lived in the same home where they simply spent quite a bit of time together because when Daniel went to his house, they were there. Of course, he could have gone to his house and summoned them there. At any rate, he informs them about the matter. Hey, guys, we're all going to die. Have a nice day. And it's going to be by ways that I'm not going to tell you about. This must have been a very disconcerting conversation between these four young men. Um, and... Imagine at that age having to be dealing with this kind of thing. Imminent death if you don't hear a dream and then interpret it, but not from the king. You don't get the information. You have to get it from somewhere else. So then, verse 17, Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter, so that, verse 18, they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Now, 
here we see the purpose of Daniel's quick trip, trip, quick trip home. He wanted to spend some time in prayer with his friends. Remember later on what got him into the Daniel, what got him into the lion's den. Y'all know the story. What happened? What was he doing that got him into the lion's den? He was praying. Daniel was a praying man from the earliest age on. He was brought up, I'm certain, in a home that gave great credence and great authority and great weight to prayer. So they would seek mercy from God, acknowledging that what they were asking about was truly a mystery. They needed God's insight and help. This was not something they could do themselves. Not only were they completely helpless, but they faced imminent death. Daniel's immediate concern was for himself and his three friends, but the ultimate result of this selfless request and subsequent actions would be the preservation of the rest of the case of all of the magicians, astrologers, sorcerers, and Chaldeans. So if Daniel gets this grant of, of mercy from God and is able to do what has been asked by the king, not only would he and his three friends be preserved, but all of the Chaldeans, sorcerers, astronomers, astrologers, and magicians be preserved. Any questions about 18, 17, and 18? Yes? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point and one that will be brought out when we get to that. Don't you find it amazing that he did this not just for himself but for the others and then later they turned on him, Rick says? Good point, good good observation. And that is often what happens in the life of a, a believer. You will do something for someone else and then later they'll turn on you. Do it anyway, if it's the right thing. Do it anyway. Daniel gives thought to this. He and his three friends pray. And then the mystery was revealed, it says in verse 19, to Daniel in a night vision. Daniel, then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So God sovereignly revealed the dream and its interpretation to Daniel. Now, when we get into this dream, I don't know you could sleep long enough to have a dream this big, but hey... You know, dreams can happen pretty fast, I guess. <laughs> so, God sovereignly reveals the dream and its interpretation to Daniel. Daniel's immediate response is to praise God. The language in this verse implies, both, but by the way, that the vision was a waking vision and not something that came to Daniel in his sleep. The Chaldean, the Persian language, the Aramaic language, excuse me, has different words for this kind of situation. And this particular word is a waking vision. Daniel was not asleep. Verse 20. Then Daniel said, first thing he says, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. Daniel's praise includes elements that would have been inspired by this next, by this most recent happening. He knew that he did not have the wisdom to figure out what Nebuchadnezzar, what Nebuchadnezzar had dreamed. And then, Neither did he have the wisdom to interpret it, nor did he have the power to stay the hand of the executioner. He was completely at the mercy of the king of Nebuchadnezzar and of the executioner. Daniel's desire, his first desire, isn't that, please spare me, Lord. Thank you for sparing me. No, his first desire is that the name of God would be blessed. The concept in the Old Testament of the name was that it was synonymous with the person. So blessing the name of God equaled blessing God himself. 
The name of God is synonymous with the, with the character of God and includes all of his attributes. And the one most in display right now in the life of Daniel and his three friends is the mercy of God. Have any of us ever been grateful for the mercy of God? Like every day. Why doesn't he just go, what a waste of skin, Razor? You know, but he doesn't. Then I'm going to finish the prayer, finish, finish his, all the verses that have his praise, and then we can talk about them if you would like. Verse 21, it is he who changes the times and the epics. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. Most certainly, this prayer also includes observations about the dream and its interpretation, which included the establishment of kings. This thanksgiving also included observation of the fact that God is in charge of sovereignly arranging the times and the eras of history. We're not cut adrift today with what seems to, with what's going on. What is so startling to us is not startling to God at all. One of the, one of my, the people who mentored me years ago, he said, you'll never see sweat on God's upper lip. And that's a good way of putting it. The quintillions of events that occur daily, and my grandkids and I were talking about these big numbers this morning. Look up the word quintillion. It's a big one. It's more than the earth weighs in metric tons. Um, the quintillions of events that occur daily are all arranged by the sovereign hand of God. And those events, and in those events, kingdoms are established and kings are removed, or nations are established and nations are removed. Wisdom is given, and men understand because of that wisdom. Daniel, remember what it says in James, ask for wisdom and it will be given to you. Daniel proves the truth of the statement that James makes, that if one asks for that wisdom, it will be given. Verse 22, Daniel continues on, praising God. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him, juxtaposing light and darkness against each other. Darkness flees away when light comes. When God comes, darkness flees away. Continuing in his praise, Daniel acknowledges that it is God who reveals things. There's nothing men can do about finding out about God without God first revealing something about himself. Biblical Christianity itself is the, rel- is the religion, if you will, of revelation. God reveals himself to us in his word, and we respond to that, res- rev- that resolution based on his sovereign work in our lives, positively or negatively, as he sovereignly directs. What is hidden in darkness to human eyes is open and apparent to God. Light itself makes its dwelling with God. Without God's revelation to man, all of the human race would remain in ignorance about the things of God. No one can find out about him unless he first comes and enlightens you. And verse 23, To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what what we requested of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. So here Daniel makes reference to power. He had none, and he knew it. He was a prisoner in the most powerful kingdom of the time, a pagan king who had the power of life and death over him. But Daniel knows that that power, even that power, is in the hand of God. He had no power, but now he will be able to influence the mightiest king of his time. Later in chapter 7, we will see a future world ruler attempt to make changes of the orders of things. And for a time, for a short time, this ruler, this future ruler that will be talked about, is actually given that power. 
But the fact remains, as Daniel observes in his hymn of praise, that it is only God who is able to change things and make the times and the seasons what they are, right down to weather in history. God blessed Daniel and his friends with wisdom and power, neither of which they had in necessary amounts to save their lives. And Daniel acknowledges that blessing as given to both himself and his friends. They requested together, and then God gave Daniel the necessary wisdom to understand the dream and to interpret it for Nebuchadnezzar and, frankly, for the rest of the of posterity, for us to read and for us to be able to understand the, the future times coming. So, that ends Daniel's hymn of praise. Any questions or comments? It would do well for us to learn to praise God all the time, but especially when he brings clarity and help to us. The first thing we should do is praise him, thank him for it, bless him for it. Verse 24, therefore, so now he knows what he has to do. Now, now bear in mind, he's going to go into the king. Just doing that, can be considered a dangerous thing in this time, a dangerous thing to do in this time. These are not... This guy flies off the handle a lot. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon, and he went and spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence, and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Daniel still had to work through Arioch in order to get gain audience to the king. It is unknown how long this took. From the request to Arioch to the time spent in prayer with his three friends and then the night vision given him, and then most likely it was a day or two. Now, that's just my guess. Okay, there's nothing. Don't misunderstand me. There's nothing in Scripture that's, that has a word or a translation that tells us it's that amount of time. I'm just guessing that it's a couple of days, probably a couple of days. And it is prob- possible that many of the Babylonian wise men had already been gathered for execution in that short time. The fact that... Even though Arioch had access to Daniel freely and did not kill him is important to remember. He was sent with instructions to kill the Babylonian wise men, all of the counselors. And he had clear, easy access to Daniel, and he didn't kill him. This is another demonstration of the complete sovereignty of God. This book, both in its entirety, the book of Daniel, and throughout in specific vignettes, is a continual testimony to the sovereignty of, and the beneficence of God. These are lessons that the Israelites would do well to remember, and it is important for us to remember them as well when we are going through the difficult times in our lives. Nothing is outside the hand, the sovereignty of God's hand. Now, Daniel asked the, asked the king's executioner to take him to the king's presence for the express purpose of giving Nebuchadnezzar the answer he sought for. This in itself would have concerned Arioch about bringing to the king one of the men he was supposed to have scheduled for execution. Okay, so I'm, I was told to kill this guy, but I haven't, and I'm bringing him before the king. All of these things would have come into play at the time. There was I, I can picture a, a, a knot in everybody's stomach for the entire time, the whole time, uh, except for probably Daniel and his friends, because they trusted the Father. They trusted God. It should also um, be noted that Daniel's statement to Arioch to not destroy the wise men of Babylon likely indicates that none of them had been killed yet. They were still most likely being rounded up. So, verse 24. Any comments about verse 24? Questions? Then Arioch in verse 25, hurriedly, hurriedly, hurry up, come on, let's go, hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. This is what he says to the king. Now think about this. 
I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. So we'll get to that in a minute. The word translated hurriedly has within it the idea of alarm. Hastening because of fear and alarm. Arioch, knowing his responsibility to kill all of the advisors, is now going to be bringing in one of those advisors to the presence of the king well after the order for execution had gone out. Truly, Arioch was taking a chance here, but he apparently had confidence in Daniel. This, this is all the more amazing that a man who had achieved the position of the chief executioner of the king of Babylon would take a chance on a 20-year-old outcast from Judah. It is likely also that Arioch's trust in Daniel included some self-interest. I have found a man. He probably hoped to participate in whatever reward might come from giving the king the answer to his problem. His statement, I have found, isn't quite accurate for Daniel himself went in to see Arioch. He was not summoned. Arioch didn't find Daniel. Daniel found Arioch. But you don't see Daniel arguing with that. He doesn't bring it up. I can't picture myself not doing that, unfortunately. (laughs) Any comments about verse 25 or concerns, questions? So then 26, the king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, and that's Daniel reminding us that he is a functionary of the king in in, uh, Babylon. So here's what the king says. He asked this question. Are you able to make known the dream which I have, make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Nebuchadnezzar's response to Daniel is important. He didn't simply tell Arioch to put him with the rest of the culprits to be killed. He asked Daniel if he could both relate to him the dream that he had had and give him the interpretation of the dream. Now, remember his response to the other wise men when they said, Oh, king, no one has ever done this before. This ain't the way we do this. you got to tell us first. What was his response? Kill them all. So he's... He's asked Daniel the same thing. Are you able to give me the interpretation? And then in verse 27, Daniel answered before the king and said, and this is, this is wonderful. He says, as for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither the wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. So he's reminding the king of what happened that caused him to send out the order for execution. <laughs> Daniel, no, no, Daniel, don't do that. <laughs> But he uses a new descriptive response, a descriptive name in his response to the king. The word for conjurers is Aramaic for astrologers. These are people who believe, and this is, this is again a perfect segue into declaring the truth and reminding the king that people who think they can read the stars can't. These are people who believe that they can discern information about the future from the heavens and the stars. Do you get your astrology report in your emails, whether you like it or not? I do. I think I'm going to wear the delete button out. I don't even read them. Um, I, you know, maybe if I need a laugh. But that's what these people believe. Astrologers, astrologers in ancient times as well as today believe that the different parts of the sky hold different secrets and even have different powers. Daniel was preparing the king to understand that the God he served was the God of the whole heavens and not just part of them. And he was the God of all power and not just some power. And that nothing had power but him. 
He made it clear to the king, as he stated, that no one on earth could declare to the king what he sought. And he allows that it was indeed a mystery. It really is a mystery. This was a secret thing that was open only to the God of all creation. Verse 28, however, I love this, however, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. So if Daniel had aspirations toward higher office, this would have been the perfect opportunity for him to take credit, to claim credit for what he was about to do. And this is what politicians do all the time. This is what Arioch did. I found a man. Yeah, the God of heaven is going to use me to fix your problem, king, because I'm the guy. I'm the guy you need. Daniel didn't do that. That's remarkable, especially for a young man like that and in, in fear for his life, except that I don't think he had much fear because he really trusted God. He knew he had the truth because he was given this information from God himself. <clears throat> it was. It would have been in his best interest from a human perspective, to proclaim it to the king as though he had come up with it. He would most certainly have been elevated, honored, and enriched, especially when he starts interpreting the dream, and it's accurate, and the information the king remembers, this is what I dreamed, and the interpretation, if he, if he, could, if he could give him the events of the dream without ever having been told them, then most likely the interpretation was just as accurate as that. So the king would have, would have been glad to honor him, like he said earlier, to the astrologers and such, that if you give me the interpret, if you tell me what I dreamed and give me the interpretation, you will be honored. <laughs> the theme of the book of Daniel, at least in part, is the absolute sovereignty of God. Here Daniel strengthens and supports that theme by reminding Nebuchadnezzar that only God can reveal these kinds of mysteries. And he begins the interpretation even here by telling Nebuchadnezzar that his dream was about the latter days. See, he wouldn't have known anything. What is this about? Daniel's proclamation served at least two objects. Number one, he was elevating Jehovah above anything Nebuchadnezzar had ever imagined. And, and Rick pointed this out, he was defending the other wise men, proclaiming to Nebuchadnezzar that they could not have been expected to know this. They were just men. So in effect, Daniel declares God's sovereignty, and in the same time, Intentionally or unintentionally, he protects the pagan seers from their own duplicity. He protects them from death. And, and later on, they betray him. Gladly betray him. Throw him under the bus, as it was, or throw him under the chariot, I guess. Wrong timing. He downplays men, and he gives glory and credit to God. In doing this, he was even taking a chance, because clearly he was elevating Jehovah above all the Babylonian gods who remained absolutely impotent to provide information to the wise men necessary for interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Commentators have fixed upon the phrase latter days. Some say that it is a statement after the fact by the spurious Daniel of the second century B.C., the one that they say this book was not written in uh, 600 B.C. It was written in, in uh, later, much later. <laughs> this would regard the latter, and oh, excuse me, and that the statement has no messianic context. This would regard the latter days of stopping short of the coming of the Messiah as depicted in the New Testament. The implication is that each of the writers who use this term, and it is used 14 times in the Old Testament, are only using it from their own personal perspective and that it depicts the latter days of their own vision. Boy, I don't think we're going to get through the end of this verse.
So this, this verse, latter days, is used 14 times in the Old Testament. So then, here they are. It's first used in Genesis 49.1. Then Jacob summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves so that I may tell you what will befall you in the days to come, the latter days. And the messianic import is implied. Other uses are found in Hosea 3.5, Isaiah 2.2, 2, Micah 4.1, Jeremiah 48.47, Jeremiah 49.39, and Jeremiah 30, 24, which the fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has performed, until he has accomplished this threat, the intent of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand this. So you can look those up um, in, for time's sake. But those are some of the uses. In this particular case, Daniel is alluding to the establishment of the divine kingdom in the final years of the fourth kingdom. Walvard says in his commentary, he says this, Here, as the sequel shows... It is similarly the period of the establishment of the divine kingdom in which, which is principally denoted by it, verses 34 later on, 35, 44, and 45. But the closing years of the fourth kingdom, which is in verses 40 through 43, may also well be included in it. And again, from the first use of this phrase in Genesis 49, messianic import is established. In each case, context determines the event of that import, the extent of that import. With regard to this section of Scripture, context shows clear messianic connection. One Old Testament scholar said this. He said, in this context, the expression must involve the eschatological future, the predictive future, for it concerns the final phase of the fourth empire and the coming kingdom of God. So we're going to stop there. I didn't, I didn't time this very well. We're in the middle of verse 28. Yeah, we're in the middle of verse 28, and there's a lot to come. Remember for next time, what we're looking at is the phrase, the latter days. There is a lot of scholarship on that phrase throughout the time that the Scripture has been available to us. And many want to consider it not having any messianic context, but clearly in the book of Daniel, it refers to the Messiah. It refers to the Messiah. And so any questions or comments on that? hate to leave you in the middle of a verse like that. I didn't plan this very well if I hadn't been working. I'm going to blame the technical problems this morning. How's that? Because I'm not as nice as Daniel. I blame somebody else. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.